So I don't really have a fancy intro, so I'm just going to pray, and we're going to jump right into what we're doing. Father, um, we are humbled before you, and we know that if anything good comes out of this night, that it's from you, that it's from your spirit speaking through your word. And so I pray that you would use me, that the words I speak would honor you. And that any you would get rid of any distractions right now in the name of Jesus. And you help us to really focus on who you are and who Jesus is. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So your first point on your handout is Jesus. Okay, spoiler alert. Jesus is the ultimate foundation and focus and source of life. I think that's a run-on sentence, but I don't care, okay? Jesus is the ultimate foundation and the focus and source of life. He's your focus. He's your source of your whole life. Can I talk about Jesus for a minute? Is that cool? Okay. Jesus, last week when I was, uh, we were worshiping, I was up here, and I was just got back from Arizona and just experienced Jesus working in some awesome ways there in the lives, and it was the same Jesus, changing the lives of the students in Arizona as it's changing you. And I just thought, man, every week, I want, when people come to challenge, I want them to walk away not thinking, oh, that was a sick speaker, or didn't the band kill it? I want them to think, what a sick Savior we have, okay? Not a sick speaker, but a sick Savior. Jesus is worthy. I, I want everyone every week to just to grow in that understanding of how great Jesus is. It's actually impossible to over-exaggerate how great Jesus is. I could talk all day, all night, I could talk for months and rave and rant and throw my hands around and say, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is great. First Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the foundation. We're doing the series Foundations. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is kind of a big deal. Am I right? Okay. Jesus is kind of... He is not just important, he's not just the foundation, but he is beautiful, okay? Jesus is beautiful. He is worthy of all praise. He is glorious. He is the greatest thing in the universe, and it's his universe, okay? It's, it's his universe. He's the greatest thing, and he created it. And so Jesus demands that we worship him with everything that we are. Jesus demands it. And you know why he does? Because he loves us. The reason Jesus demands that we worship him above all is because he loves us too much not to demand that we worship him with everything that we are. Because he, he's not vain. He's not conceited. He knows that our, our lives, we were made to worship Jesus for who he is. And our lives will not be satisfied. Um, Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. I love that. The better you get to know Jesus, the more and more you want Jesus. It's kind of like a bag of chips. My, my chip is Flamin' Hot Cheetos, okay? I, I love the flame. Anyone into the Flamin' Hot Cheetos? Okay. One, you know, once you get that first bite, it's like, yeah, it, it's, it's legit. You just, wanna, you just want more. It's an addiction. 
And Jesus is better than Flaming Hot Cheetos, okay? That's, he, he, Jesus, I'm, I'm being serious. Jesus is an addiction. Jesus is, the more you experience him, the more you want more of him. The more you work, you live your life, and you get closer and closer to him, the more you just, you get up each day and you, want, you think, I want to know Jesus better. And honestly, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. Um, growing in Christ is nothing more than growing your obsession with Jesus, okay? Growing deeper in Christ is, simply put, growing your obsession and love for Jesus. So do you love Jesus today a lot more than you did last year? If not, you're not growing in Christ because <laughs> your love for Jesus needs to continually growing. And so you may be looking at me and thinking I'm being a little weird, ranting and raving about how, who Jesus is, but you wouldn't if you knew Jesus like I do, okay? You wouldn't think it was weird that I'm ranting and raving, talking about how great knowing Christ is if you really experienced him the way I do. And I'm not saying that arrogantly. It's only by the grace of God that I know Jesus the way I do. But Jesus is the most precious thing in the world to me. More precious than my wife, more precious than my two beautiful kids. It's, he is the greatest treasure in all of life. And so it's impossible to exaggerate how worth it, how worthy Jesus is. And so if you get nothing else, that's what I want you to get, is there's nothing that compares to knowing Christ. And you can, there's more. There's more that you can experience with Christ in your life. So Apostle Paul, he prayed the same thing for his people he was, he was leading. He said this, For th this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You get the picture that Paul, as he's writing this, is just going off, okay? You just feel like, he, he, the picture I think, I think he was just writing this out, and it was just like flowing. He's just like, I can't stop talking about how much Jesus loves you. And he's, I just pray, this is the reason I kneel before the Father, is so that you get how much Jesus loves you. I pray for you. He's, he's saying, Ephesians, I'm praying for you, that you get how much Jesus loves you, that you grasp how much Jesus' love he, he has for you. He's, he's praying for them. Jesus is crazy about you. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. He's saying, I want you to grasp that it's impossible to exaggerate how much Jesus loves you. So a, a way, a picture for me, a powerful picture for me and how much Jesus loves me is when I first held my daughter Evelyn in my arms, Okay. Um, the first time I held Evelyn, she's, a three, she's three years old now, I looked down to her, and I started singing this Frank Sinatra song, okay? And it's, um, I'm not going to sing it, <laughs> but, but it's, I, I'm planning on dancing 
in her wedding to that song. And there's this feeling I have when I look down on her that is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. It's a love that is indescribable. But Jesus loves you way more than that. Jesus looks down at you, his child, and he loves you way more than I love Evelyn. You cannot exaggerate how much Jesus loves you. And there's a new popular song, Reckless Love, and it has a phrase in there that I thought at first was a little cheesy, but then I remembered my thing with Evelyn. Let's go to the next slide. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. And that's what I was doing with Evelyn. I was just like singing over her. Just, she gave me so much joy that she caused me to sing. I just thought that was cool. Just thinking, that's how much God loves you. So an interesting thing lately with Evelyn, she's three now, so she's just try, starting to understand about Jesus. So Owen is on a mission to convert Evelyn, to get her saved. So we share, during Bible story time, we share the gospel with Evelyn all the time. And so, and Owen's like pressuring, just pray, just pray, just accept Jesus. And um, actually, it turns out we had a really good conversation one night with Evelyn about making Jesus the boss of your life. And so she prayed something like a salvation prayer. And it was very interesting because a few moments later, I, t- I tried to talk to her about the importance of turning from your sins, saying sorry for your, your sins, and trusting in Christ, choosing to follow Jesus. So she prayed a prayer, and then a few moments later, she prayed, God, help me not to be wild. <laughs> help me not to be wild tomorrow anymore. And so that was like that repentance. You know, I don't know. I don't know if she's saved or not yet. But she, she's starting to understand what, what this is. And so another thing that Evelyn struggles with, uh, she's a three-year-old, so she struggles with um, fear a little bit, like afraid of the dark or when Owen's talking to, about spiders with her, trying to, Owen kind of has, uh, he's trying to, you know, he messes with her a little bit. We got to work on that, Owen. But I talk to Evelyn and I say, Evelyn, you don't need to be afraid. Do you know why? And she says, why, Daddy? And I say, because you're God's daughter. You're God's daughter. And she says, <laughs> and then one time I told her that, and she said, like, Dada? Like, Dada? And I said, yep, like, Dada. And so we, this was at the end of our Bible story time. So we take turns praying, and Owen prays for the college students to come know Jesus almost every night. So he's, she's praying for you guys. And then um, Evelyn, that night, her prayer was, Dada? 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 And that's all she said in her whole prayer. <laughs> And then this verse came, comes to my mind, Romans 8, 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit, which when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. And translated in the Greek, the closest translation is Dada. Okay? Is, is we have, when you have a relationship with God through Christ, the closest thing is the dad, father-son relationship. And then Galatians 4, 6, it says, Because you are his sons or daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls Abba, Father. So if you're a follower of Christ, there's something inside you that just says, Yes, Jesus, yes, Father, God is my Father. John Piper said, said it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So God is most glorified in us. When, so serving God is not a duty. Loving God is not a duty. It's a delight. 
If I go to my wife, loving God is not a duty, it's a delight. If I go to my wife and say, hey, honey, it's our 10-year anniversary. Here's some roses. You earned it. Is that romantic? No. But if I say, honey, here's some roses. It's been the most amazing 10 years of my life. Evan's getting a little awkward here. You know, <laughs> that's more special. So um, C.S. Lewis put it this way. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise was not, the praise because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Okay, so it not only expresses the enjoyment, but it completes it. So you enjoy something fully. Like, you don't really enjoy the new Avengers movie until you go and tell your friends and have that debate about all the different ins and outs of it. Um, okay. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It says, But whatever it was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. There's something in this passage, something about this passage, since I memorize it, every time I hear it, it just makes my heart beat a little faster. Just like, yes, this is what life is about. Philippians 3, 7 through 10 is what life is about. It's about knowing Christ. I want to know Christ. I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our, our Lord. So I'm in good company, okay, with the Apostle Paul, okay? The Apostle Paul rants and raves about how great knowing Jesus is, and I was just trying to do that. And it's like you could almost, as if people around Paul are probably like, settle down, Paul. Is Jesus really that good? He says, yes. I want you to circle the word surpassing greatness. There is nothing that can compare to knowing Jesus. There's a surpassing greatness, just way, way, way better than anything you could experience on this earth. And Paul was in prison when he wrote this, okay? He wasn't, he wasn't high on the hog. He wasn't just kicked up in his crib. <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. Um, he, he, was, he was in prison. He said, for his sake, I have lost all things. I have lost all things. So, so it's, it's almost as if Paul knows something that we don't. Am I right? It's almost like, he knows something. It's because he does, honestly. I think the Apostle Paul here writing this, he knows something that we don't. Because he knows Jesus on a deeper level than we do. He understands this in a real way that we, I hope to attain someday. I hope to understand this passage more and more. Because if we're all honest, we're not quite there yet. I mean, there's something in us that says, yes, this is true if you're a follower of Christ. But, man, there's some other things that look good, too. And they, they, they battle with that desire for Christ. So what, this is the goal. We want to see Christ as everything else com rubbish compared to knowing Jesus our Lord. So who is Jesus? Uh, I just wanted to throw this long passage in just for kicks and giggles because it talks about who Jesus is. He's the focus and the source. It says he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, 15 through 19. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Christ. Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead. And he, that, made, that proved that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is preeminent. That, how many, anyone use that word in the last month, preeminent? Okay, it's a cool word. I love it. It means surpassing all others. Jesus is preeminent. He is above and surpassing and far outweighing, far exceeding everyone else, everything else in life. He is the focus. He is the source. He is why we exist as challenge. He's why we're here. So Jesus is the ultimate foundation. The next thing is Jesus demands that we give our whole lives to following him. Jesus demands, because he's so great, he demands that we give our whole lives to following him. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Matthew 7, 13, and 14. This is a really sad passage because you think about that most people don't experience the salvation that Jesus offers. Most people say, no thanks. I'm going to do life my way. Most people are just on the, the wide road that leads to destruction. It's a natural. It's only natural just to walk down the easy road with everyone else. It's just the way it goes. But the problem with that path is just going with the flow of everything else is it says in this passage that it leads to destruction. He's saying that if you don't choose to follow me and follow me on the narrow road, you're going to be destroyed in this life and the next. And the thing about the narrow road is you don't choose it by accident. You don't just happen or stumble upon the narrow road, okay? You choose the narrow road. And why do you choose the narrow road? Because you want to go where it's going, not because it's more fun, okay? The narrow road is not necessarily more fun. The narrow road takes you where you want to go, okay? So you choose, there is joy, don't get me wrong, there is joy, there is fulfillment, but when, you, when you're looking at that road, it's not necessarily what you want, because everyone else is going down that road, and it leads to destruction. It's the easy way, but the narrow road is the hard way. There's a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's an old classic Christian book. It's an allegory about someone's life. And I'm just going to read. Um, you, I'd suggest you read it at some point. But I'm going to read a little section of it. It's about a guy um, called Pilgrim. And let's just check it out. He said, so I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on, crying, life, life, eternal life. So he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. The neighbors also came out to see him run. And as he ran, some mocked, others threatened, and some cried after him to return. So in the whole um, book, in the whole story, he goes through different trials and temptations. This is the start of his journey. And it starts with him leaving his family, leaving all the naysayers, and he's running 
with his ears plugged, saying, life, life, eternal life. And that is what we need to do to accept Christ, to choose to follow Christ. We have to plug the ears of all the, uh, the people that are saying, oh, you don't need to take this God stuff too seriously. You don't need to take fall, obeying Jesus too seriously. You don't, need to, you don't need to go too far. That's wrong. You have to intentionally choose to follow Jesus because that is what it takes. Uh, being a Christian does not mean you say a little prayer and you get your get-out-of-hell-free card and then you live like hell the rest of your life, okay? It means, it means you, you turn and you follow Jesus on the narrow road. It's not tacking on a little church or a little Jesus onto your, your self-centered life, okay? That's not what it means to be a Christian, okay? Let's check out this, um, this little video by David Platt. So, Sai, can you get the video, the lights? When Jesus um, said, originally coined the term born again in John 3, you can jot that down if you haven't read that passage, um, it was a very radical thing to say. But as Americans, we've watered it down to mean nothing more than we have some nominal commitment to church or Christianity. Um, To be born again, according to Jesus, was to be radically transformed from the inside out was to become a completely new person. And that's something that the Holy Spirit of God can do. Only he can do. But it's something that happens to you where your whole life changes. You give over the reins of your life and you say, Jesus, I want you to change me. And then he, he does a supernatural work in your heart. And so a lot of Christians that may even say they're born again because they prayed a prayer in elementary school or something, and they, they've never seen any change in their life, are not saved. Okay, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I never knew you. Scary words from Jesus. That is a tragedy that someone could hear that. They could think they're a believer. They could think they're a Christian, but they don't truly know Jesus. So do you know Jesus? That's my question. I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking, did you pray a magic prayer? Okay? I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Has he changed your heart? I'm not talking about perfection, okay? I don't want real Christians to doubt their salvation. But I'm asking, have you turned your direction to following Jesus? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Is, Is God changing your life? And it happens slowly, don't get me wrong. It happens slowly. But has your life been changed? Has something inside you happened to change who you are? So let's check out one more video from David Platt as he kind of expands on this topic. So you can't pull a fast one on God. You can't trick God. You can't deceive him. You can't, you can't, if you try to deceive God by just going through the motions, you're only deceiving yourself. And if you, if you want to make that decision to sincerely make Jesus the center of your life, there's two words I want you to write down on your handout. It's turn 
turn. Everyone write this down. It'll help you explain it to others too. Turn. So turn from following your own desires and the sin in your life. You want to go the opposite direction. You want to turn. Luke 13, 3, it says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. How's that for a coffee table mug verse? (laughs) Put that on your inspirational posters. Don't look at me like I'm being too harsh. I'm just telling you what Jesus. Take it up with Jesus, okay? Uh, I'm just the mailman, okay? (laughs) You don't get... Repent means to turn. So you must turn from your sins. You must give up your sins and from leading your own life. And then you want to trust. So turn and trust. Trust that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he's offering you forgiveness and eternal life. And it's trusting not just like an intellectual assent. It's trusting in the way where you put on a parachute and you trust that parachute to, to save you. If you trust that parachute to save you, what do you do? If you need to jump out, you jump out. So that's, that's the form of trust that God wants. It's, it's stepping into the life of trusting and following Jesus. It's not just an intellectual ascent. Um, KB, the great theologian, Christian rapper KB, put it this way. Um, he said, I've, I've seen the Lord, the same I'll never be. Some say they've seen the Lord, but live on casually. I don't know what, what you saw, but the Lord ain't what you've seen. Once you've really seen the Lord, you're obsessed with what you see. Obsession, boy, I'm saying it right. Love him more than dear life. Want to know how you can beat porn? Let him give you a new website. I promise, dog, I want him. Ah, mindset on his glory. I visualize him crucified, both hands wide, three, four, five. Yeah! But he actually makes some really good points in this flow. He says, you've seen the Lord, the same you'll never be. Some say they've seen the Lord and live on casually. I don't know what, what you saw, but the Lord isn't what you've seen. Once you've seen the Lord, you're obsessed with what you see. Man, if you, are really, if you really know Jesus, there's a, there's a point where you just have to follow him. You have to, if you really know him, you're gonna, your, your life is going to be changed. Your life is going to be different. And then Jesus, back in Matthew 7, he says this, By their fruit you will recognize him. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So it's not our job to judge whether to look at other Christians and say, or other people around here and say, oh, they're saved, they're not. That's not our job. Because in, actually in Matthew 7, the very first part of this verse, this chapter, it, the first verse in this chapter is do not judge, okay? But there is some, if someone's life doesn't show any fruit, then we have good reason to doubt whether or not they're saved, whether or they've ever turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus. Because Jesus changes people. That's just what he does, okay? Jesus changes lives. So if someone doesn't really have life change, then it's not wise to tell someone, oh, yeah, you're good. Because you prayed a prayer when you're in elementary school at VBS, you're good, Okay? It's, it's actually the real issue. That's why I don't ask people when I share the gospel. I don't ask them, have you ever prayed this before? Or have, have, I ask them, are you ready to give your whole life to Jesus right now? And then that's the issue. Because the issue is not whether you made what, what happened in the past. If your life has not changed, 
there's no biblical grounds to be sure that you're saved, okay? If your life isn't, has not been changed, and I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. So I'm talking about the, your life. Romans 10, 9 it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is not, and again, this is not just a saying the words, magic words. This is a, de- a declaration of allegiance. To, to say Jesus is Lord is to say, I am going to follow Jesus. It's not, it's not a, a casual thing. And then believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead. Luke 14, it says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. So Owen actually has committed his life to Christ, and I'm, I'm confident in that. And we've been talking about how uh, he's, he's six years old. Okay, Owen is six years old. And he has decided to make Jesus the boss of his life. And I've seen the fruit in his life. I've seen the, the change in his life. And he even tells on himself sometimes, <laughs> even though he knows the consequences are coming. He, he's like, yeah, I hit sister. And I'm like, okay. So, so he's not perfect, okay, he's, but he's changed. Owen is a changed man, okay? He's, he's six years old, okay? You can, you, there's nothing you have to do besides give your whole life to Jesus, it's not about earning your salvation. I don't want you to hear that. It's about turning, turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. It's about making Jesus the Lord of your life, the boss of your life. It's not, you don't earn your salvation. You, you accept it by turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. So the next thing is Jesus demands daily obe- obedience, daily obedience, if you're going to experience his blessing. So we're going to pick up back in Matthew 7, and Jesus says this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Matthew 7, 24 through 28. I want you to notice, is that verse on your handout? It's a long one. I want you to circle the word therefore, okay? Just so you know what it's there for, okay? (laughs) When when you see the word therefore, you got to find out what it's there for. It's in context of those other verses I've been quoting about true salvation. If, If you are truly saved then you are going to want to obey Jesus. That is, it's not, obeying Jesus is not for um, the, the A-team of Christians. It's not for above, going above and beyond, taking Jesus seriously. There's not just like Christians and then those who re- are really obedient. It's the very definition of what it means to be a Christian is that you follow Jesus. You obey Jesus. So I wish I had time to go all all in about this passage and obeying him, but it's about putting his words into practice. And so the key to putting Jesus' words into practice is intentionality. It's intentionality. It's not just half-heartedly. And so I got another quick video for you, and this one's by Francis Chan, another author I like. Let's check it out. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. 
Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it is Simon says, is, uh, you know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says, is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rich, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you say, Rich, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said? Talk about how much we know, but it's just it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. Start making disciples. Jesus' last words in Matthew 28, 18, and 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18, and 20. So I, I could give a whole message on this, but I want you to circle one word uh, in this. It's everything. Teach them to what? Obey. Teach them to obey everything. And last time I checked, everything was pretty all-inclusive, right? Okay? Well, everything means everything. Um, here's a cool shell, a picture of a cool shell that Owen and I found on our vacation. We got a picture of it? Let's check it out. Yeah, there it is. A couple shells, abalone shells. We found them on the beach in Fort Bragg in McCarricker State Beach. And um, Owen and I had a little moral dilemma, okay? We found these shells on the beach, and we like them. We, we think those would be great soap dishes. And, um, we, but a couple, last time we were in Fort Bragg, the, someone stopped us and said, we were catching crabs, and they stopped us, and they said, well, don't keep those crabs, and especially if you find any abalone, don't take it with you, because that's against the, the law, and we'll fine you. And, um, you know, so we're like, okay, cool. So we're not going to eat these crabs anyway, even though Owen want, wanted to. But Owen, so we ended up, when, when that happened, as they told us that, we already had an abalone at home that we took the day before because we didn't know. And, uh, and so the whole day, Owen, Owen had this internal struggle. He just had this battle with his sinful nature and Jesus. And he just, he basically, all day, he was talking to me, thinking about it. And I, I knew the right thing to do, but I wanted to let him kind of have that moment of deciding. And so throughout the course of the day, we talked, it, talked about it a few times. But he came, to, he came to me and said, Dad, I think we need to go put the shell back. 
And sure, sure, it could have could have been easy for me to justify, oh, the, the poor kid, you know, <laughs> just let him keep the stupid shell. Someone else is going to grab it the second we put it down. But no, there was something more important happening than shells in that moment. His own is learning to follow Jesus. And he's learning that obedience, even when it's not what you want in the moment, is always what will give you what you want in the long run. Obedience is always right. And so in that moment, I was, as you can tell, I'm the proudest dad in the world, just to see him giving up his shell, okay, giving up this thing that he was, his treasure that, that he had to struggle with. And so that's my question to you is what is your shell, okay? What is your shell? What is the thing in your life that, is, that could potentially hinder you from fully following Jesus? What is it that God wants you to do, you think that Jesus wants you to do, that you're struggling to give up? It, and my question to you is, is Jesus worth it to you? Is Jesus worth it to you? So maybe it's something easy. Some, sometimes I, I tell these stories of persecuted people and people dying for their faith and things like that. And that's inspiring. But sometimes it's harder to walk with Christ on a daily basis. Okay? Sometimes it's, it's harder to walk with Christ daily than it would be to die for Christ. So he commands us to take up our cross daily. And sometimes that looks like being faithful in the little things. Maybe that's deciding from this point on, I'm going to read my Bible every day and pray, no matter what. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. Maybe that's your scripture memory. Maybe that's being honest. Maybe that's breaking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't know what, I don't, whether it's a small thing or a big thing. I just want to ask you, what's your shell, okay? What's the thing that is tempting you to hold back from what God wants you to do? And decide right now, I want to challenge you, decide right now that you are going to be the kind of person that obeys Jesus no matter what. Because you're never going to regret that kind of life. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for how you sent Jesus to be the ultimate example and to be the foundation and to call us to the life of obedience with you. And I pray that everyone in here would turn from our sin, all of our sin, and trust you fully and obey you even in the things that don't make sense to us, even the things we don't want to obey you in, that you would make us willing to obey you. You would help us to see the big picture and to to make those choices every day. We would choose to obey you just today, and the next day we would choose to obey you that day. So, Father, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would get right with you tonight. They would turn from all their sin, and they would trust you. They would say, I accept you, Lord. I want you to forgive me. I want this new life that they're talking about. So I pray that you would, you would help us. This would not just be uh, an emotional moment, but it would be a life-changing event where we continue to pursue you and walk with you in obedience. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. to um, spend some time thinking about what is your next step. So take this seriously. Think about if you need to spend some time praying, just do that. I encourage you to fill out your cards and let us know what stood out to you. And We have some suggested next steps. But after you're done filling out the card, if you just need to stay seated and spend some extra time praying, don't feel like you need to stand up when the rest of us stand up. So this, use this time to really do business with the Lord and just give him your whole life and you won't regret it. Let's do that for a moment, for, for a little bit.